probably have no clue how you're going to vote in next week's California primary. From propositions to candidates, from taxes to bonds, we're covering some of the info you should know before you head to the voting booth on this week's episode of California Streaming. You're listening to the California Streaming Podcast with Bobby, Jonathan, and Louie. We're just three conservative friends trying to provide some counterbalance in one of the most liberal states in the union. So hop on our magic choo-choo train to nowhere and let's talk some California politics. All right. Welcome, guys. Hey, good to be here. Welcome, Louie. Welcome, John. Bobby. Hey. We got a lot of stuff coming up. It's going to be a busy season. Yeah. Why don't we... uh, This is podcast episode number one uh where we cover everything california kind of pop culture and government related uh why don't we take a second to just tell the public at home who we are john my name is jonathan i've lived in california all my life except for two years where i went to school out of state but since then, I've been back here in Santa Barbara, California. Uh, grew up in Bakersfield, so I've kind of lived in a couple pretty different locations in the state. So, Hey, it's Bobby. I've been living here in California my entire life. Did not move out of the state, the weirdo. Hmm. Uh, I went to school in California. I've worked in California, and I've been doing politics in California, so I know quite a few of these uh, nuggets out there. I'm going to have to talk a little about them later on. Awesome. Uh, this is Louie, born and raised in California. Grew up in L.A., moved up to Santa Barbara about five years ago. And, uh, yeah, great place to live, although it's super liberal. That is the that is the swing at this point. Wait time. a minute. This is the first I hear of it. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And I think uh, I think that's part of what drove us to create this podcast is to have some kind of conservative voice uh, that isn't somebody mainstream. There are the Ben Shapiro's and, and those things <laughs> out there, but uh, something that's just a little bit more California-focused. California-focused, yeah. yeah. All right. I just wanted to kind of jump into it right right here and now. Yeah, let's because, go. Because as some of our listeners may have heard, California wants to put solar panels on every single new home in our great state. And Louis, I was chatting with you a little bit, and I wanted to make sure it was true. Firefighters are not allowed to go onto homes with solar panels on their roofs to save people's lives. Give me a little bit about that. Well, I I wouldn't say not allowed. Every every department's going to be different on it. Um, I guess my authority on it is I've, I've been a fireman for a number of years, um, and uh a lot of times we ventilate roofs to get the superheated gases and smoke out of the building. We cut a hole in your roof uh, in order to achieve that because heat rises. So that's one of the easier methods. But when you have a photovoltaic panel on your roof or a solar panel, it makes that kind of impossible because you can't just throw your chainsaw through a solar panel. Uh, part of part of the other issue is you can't really shut down a solar panel Um even if you turn the line off or you turn it off at the panel the or at your electrical panel the box the panel itself is always constantly absorbing energy mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. at night okay at a more decreased rate but there still could be a little bit that's absorbed it's 
the transformers in there hang on to power. So when you start telling everybody they must have solar or you have people developing solar shingles where the whole roof is coated in solar yeah. panels. Right. Isn't that a Tesla project that they're, that they're yeah. going to be coming out with these yeah. shingles here in the next what, year or two or something? Which becomes kind of an issue. Um, at least with a normal panel, you can see where it is and maybe you can get on the roof and you can cut. Maybe you can cut on the side that's, you know, not the exposure where the panels are on because generally they put your solar panels on the exposure of your roof that gets the most sunlight throughout the day. But Louis, you said that it's not consistent in the state. So, so what's going to make it determine whether is it by County Santa Barbara County might be different than Kern County. Yeah. I, that would probably be just department. Oh, you know, even okay. just departments within counties. Oh, wow. Okay. Most departments have their own uh, standard operating procedures or guidelines. So, I don't know how that would affect it. I know that this is something kind of new to the state in general. I mean, new in the sense of 10 years or so where you look around Santa Barbara County, or at least in the North County, a lot of people have solar. I feel like it's caught on a lot more. Uh, our studio here has solar. So, mm -hmm. you know, but those are challenges, you know, it's not all upside. Well, as far as going as new homes, new homes are then going to be required to have these panels. I don't know what the run cost is going to be for each individual panel depends on how many panels are going to have for each home. Well, but I imagine it's going to be an added cost to the they, home. And then when you yeah. put it into a 30 year mortgage, so they, but it brings higher property tax because you brought up the value of the home. That's right. So, so the, the, some of the research I did said on average, it's supposed to raise the price of a home in California by about $10,500. Now, they say, and they said they've done the calculations out across a 30-year mortgage as if you had to pay for this over the 30 years. They say it's a, it's a savings net to, in today's money of $19,000. So they're standing behind this fact that it's actually something you should do because it's going to save money. Which then begs the question, if that were true, it's like picking up a $20 bill off the street. Why isn't everybody running out right now and putting solar on their home? If I'm going to make $10,000 net today in today's dollars, there shouldn't be a single home in California in, in the state or in, in the country that doesn't have solar, right? What am I missing? Well, I think uh, part of the problem with, say, aftermarket panels, you already own a home, you want to get solar, is you have the choice of either buying the panels for some astronomical amount or you can lease them from the solar company mm. who gets all your solar credits and you got to weigh the cost of paying the solar company a monthly fee Versus what is your normal power bill right now? And what does that fee look like? So uh, I know when I bought my home with solar, it is built into the cost of the home, you know, so you are paying extra for it, but you own them at that rate. Well, here, I already see a problem that's going to happen with all these homes with solar panels. Machines wear down over time. All machines do. Your refrigerator runs down, whatever your car does too. These solar panels are not going to be running at peak efficiency their entire lifetime. But California wants them to. It's on the homeowner, if they own them, to replace and maintain them. And guess what? They ain't going to do it. I mean, how many homes out there are still from the 50s track homes? <laughs> they still have single-pane right. windows. Uh <laughs> well, one, one of the things we ran into on uh, my home was new construction with panels and a housing development that was still under construction, at least for another year and a half or so. 
and the dust from the constructions, the construction project in general was putting a film over the panels and the panels weren't nearly as efficient as they could have been. And you need a company to get up there, at least for us pretty regularly because of the construction dust to take all the, take all that off the panel so that they operate. The, the other thing too, on the safety side is that, uh, the power company can't shut the grid down, right? So they can, when they need to work on a line or there's a natural disaster, they can have their office shut down like specific poles and stuff or uh, specific parts of the grid, which is pretty cool. But now you have homes backfeeding the grid from the residential side. So they instruct you to shut down your power in a natural disaster so that they can work on the lines. You're telling me that everybody will say, I'm going to live in a blackout situation right now, or I can keep my solar panel on and have power. So you tell me how well that works. Right. Wanted to switch gears. California cars will soon be spotted with digital license plates. Ex- explain what you mean. Okay. Digital license plates. So uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles is um, getting together with a, a digital plates maker called Reviver Auto. And these bad boys are going to cost you a pretty penny of $700 or $699.99. Screw the penny. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it doesn't include the uh, installation price. It's It's an interesting little thing that they're inventing here so that they can better track you and see where you're going, what you're doing, how many miles you're putting on the car better to tax you in the future. Because you know what? These electric cars, <laughs> they're not, uh, they're not taking into account those, uh, those gasoline taxes they just passed, which we're going to talk about. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's one of the main reasons they just decided last year, or which I think went effective this year to raise registration rates is because you have to register a, a, an electric vehicle. Um, and so they kind of spread that cost over multiple or overall car types because they weren't garnering the same level of taxation from gases, even though they raised the gas right. tax. When they get the, yeah, when they did the gas tax, they were going to uh, assess everybody on uh, the gallon of gas or whatever. But electric vehicles don't take that. So then they assess them a blanket rate, an annual rate that they have to just pay out of their pocket, which... I, I forget what it was exactly when I did the math. It was like equivalent to them buying 80 gallons of gas throughout the year. It's just an interesting topic for me because philosophically, I can appreciate why you'd want to tie the miles driven by your vehicle to the tax that you owe for road upkeep. But therein lies two challenges, right? Is Number one, you've just assumed that the tax revenues that they take in are going to be used to upkeep the roads, which we're about to vote on a proposition (laughs) in the state that directly addresses that. But number two is, yeah, you're assuming that the data that's collected by them is only used for that purpose to just determine mileage for some unnamed, unknown person and a bill is assessed. Well, if, if we've learned anything about some of the, the corporations and Facebook, et cetera, over the last months, the chances of that happening are, are slim to none. Well, and, and I think they're taking a cue from uh, insurance companies because insurance companies over the past couple of years have gone to a model where they'll send you a little dongle you put on your OBD port in your car and it will log your miles and then you'll get assessed based on actual miles versus the whole self-reporting your odometer every year 
when you renew. And, you know, I think when the government does it, it's a bit big brother esque because you just don't know how that data is going to be used. And, and we've seen with Equifax and Facebook, that data sometimes is used unscrupulously, believe it or not. I'm surprised. (laughs) I, uh, you know, you know, they caught that golden state killer guy. Yeah. Right. Do you know how he caught how they caught him? No. They used the, uh, the DNA samples that they got from 23andMe because one of his relatives used the service. And so the government actually bought all the DNA sampling and cross-checked it against this open source. That's crazy. That's how they actually <laughs> found him. So they went, we have probable cause. Let's, uh, let's fish through the entire network of people that we can just go against. So I feel real ashamed that I, uh, I bought that from my mother this Christmas. Cause now I'm on, uh, <laughs> now I'm on the government day. Was there any, sorry if you said it, but was there any sort of time frame that they mentioned for these license plates, uh, being required? Well, they're just to starting to roll those things out. Mm-hmm. So right now it's a nice thing to have. Very cool. If you want to get into it, it does you absolutely, um, it's no benefit to you right now. Absolutely none. So pulling out your wallet and shelling out 700 bucks means nothing. But when they becomes mandatory or when all new cars are forced to have them, then that's a different story. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I didn't even know that was occurring. Track you down. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> and you watch me when I sleep. What's next on the docket here? How about Stormy Daniels getting the key to West Hollywood? You mean Stephanie Clifford. <laughs> yeah. West Hollywood. Yeah. I don't know why uh I don't know why we're honoring somebody like that, right? I right, wrong or indifferent, regardless how you feel about her, you know, sleeping with Trump or whatever. I I don't know what rises this person to the level of getting the key to the city, like just in general. Yeah. So I think, uh, I read an article this past week and in it was quoted Lisa Belsanti. She was a city spokeswoman, uh, I think for West Hollywood. And she said that they were quote, serious as a heart attack end quote (laughs) about this whole event. Quote, if it takes someone like Stormy Daniels to bring this corrupt, morally bankrupt Trump administration down, then she really is a hero end quote. So I think they see this as another angle, like you were alluding to, Louis, uh, another angle of uh, this is just, this is right. They need to do this because she's doing serious work in her efforts to bring down the administration. Right. Well, where are we supposed to lead into <laughs> this, man? Okay, it's it's getting real dirty when uh, the cleanest city in California decides to give... Uh, a porn star, the key to the city. I mean, this is kind of the moment where but for what? I, like, I, I get. I mean, this is kind of like the moment when we gave Saddam Hussein the the, the key to the city of Detroit, right? It's kind of like, hey, you're our buddy. You're our buddy, right? You'll do us no harm. I, even regardless of her occupation, whatever. Maybe you could be a, a philanthropic porn star. I don't care. Give them, yeah, sure. Give them the key to the city. Maybe they take that money they raise and they clothe the homeless or something. Right. Cool. I still don't get for what, because she, she's helping bring down the president. And, and I go back to, it's funny. I, I don't, 
I never thought I'd use this as a reference, but when Roseanne was on Jimmy Kimmel and he thought she was just going to be buddy, buddy and join in the anti-Trump conversation. And he was very surprised when she wasn't just being the standard liberal. And she said, why would I want the president to fail? How is that good for anybody? Even if I don't like him, I'd want him to do a good job because it affects us all. And, and I look at it like that. Okay, great. Uh, based on the article that you brought up, this, you know, stormy is helping bring down the, the president. How, how does that help anybody? How does that help us? And, and then you take it a step further. Do people really want Pence to take over? Like what? I don't know why something that happened a decade ago is even news. Oh, it matters. <laughs> Apparently. Apparently it matters. It gets you the key to the city. Anything else around the horn in California? All right. So we're here. We want to talk about Proposition 69. I know it sounds dirty. What's it about? All right. You know, so, so the official title, Transportation Taxes and Fees Lockbox and Appropriations Limit Exemption Amendment. Now, if anyone else doesn't think of the 2000 presidential debates when they hear the word lockbox, that's exactly what I think of. Al Gore telling me about Social Security and how we need to put it into a lockbox. Right. And I think... Uh, I think the whole prop is meant for fools for the most part. Um, we already voted on this twice, Prop 42 in 2002 and uh, Prop 22 in 2010. said, hey, you can't touch the gas tax. You can't touch uh, the transportation funds for pet projects. I think what's also funny is the bullet train falls under as a transportation project. Oh, the bullet train. Right? That's the bullet right. train to nowhere. I think that's exactly the point where a lot of – some of the articles and, and opposing voices seem to come from, right, is what exactly the role of the bullet train will play in, okay, so you've you've isolated the money for transportation. Well, if that just means that all of it's now going to be funneled there instead of the potholes that I hit every day on my drive to work, well, this is totally meaningless. Well, I think it's crazy we need a constitutional amendment to prevent the legislature from raiding the transportation funds three times now. How about just don't touch them? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, the people who are supporting this are Democrats. But I could have sworn that SB1 from 2017 was exactly given to us by Democrats with a couple of Republicans who voted mm -hmm. for it as well. Darn gas tax. Oh, we love the gas tax. 12 cents every single time we uh, pump gas. Oh, so, anywho. Uh, Proposition 69 exempts the revenues from SB1 from being calculated as part of the 1979 formula that limits state spending. Now, what does that actually mean? It means that they lied to us. Lied to us in the beginning so that they could raise the funds. But this proposition actually cements SB1 as the law of the land. The gas tax shall remain. That's the whole point. That's why they're back at it again saying, oh, yeah, well, we need this constitutional amendment because we can't be trusted with the, our own decisions. Right. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. doesn't make sense whatsoever. Uh, one of the proponents of uh, the gas tax, I'm sorry, well, um, of this stupid uh, proposition is 
the Coalition for Transportation for Local Transportation Independence. So, who, are who they? the hell are these guys? Uh, well, that's kind of uh, an interesting fact. Uh, they're supporters. Uh, American Tra- Traffic Safety Services, Congress of California Senators, Planning and Conservation League, uh, Breathe California Sacramento Region, oh, and uh, the California Young Democrats. Are you... But by some of those names you're reading, are you suggesting then that that's further proof that funds will be diverted to the bullet train versus vehicle uh, use improvements? Well, this pack is not exactly who they say they are. They are big union, big Democrat, big everything. On their actual website, it says, we support safer roads and protecting local transportation improvement. We support Prop 69, and we oppose the repeal of SB1. So they're all in with making sure that money keeps coming into transportation. Now, their whole hoopla is, of course, the train. They want to improve. They feel that the benefit is, of course, better environmentalism. And whatever cost that may entail. It's for the benefit of mankind. And so on the flip side, right, making the roads easier to drive on would be accomplishing the complete opposite. Right. Oh, and don't, don't forget, like, most of their supporters actually get paid off of uh, the work that they do off of this system. You know, brought to you by SB1. Let's not get rid of it. We need it. We need it. Why do we need it? I don't know, but we need it. Well... I I still don't know why we need three different votes you know to what, tell people keep your hands out of the coffer. Right. I, I know the quote is often used and probably overused, and but it's the one attributed to Einstein that says insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Right. I mean, that's exactly what this seems to me. If if you can't if you can't trust you voted in people, right, to do this, and now you're saying you can't trust those people that you voted in to do what you just voted to do. The only thing that makes sense to me going forward then is maybe vote for different people, but obviously that's not going to happen. Yeah. And that becomes the other issue is that we just had such a left controlled state for so long. I mean, even going back to Schwarzenegger, it's no secret that he wasn't the most right, (laughs) the most right leaning guy out there. In fact, he probably leaned a lot more left and, he was never a super serious governor. I, I guess the only upside is that he signed my college degree, my Same diploma. Here. Same because here. he was in office at the time, and hey. I went. I was part of the uh, Cal State system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but aside from that, I I don't know why we're building a bullet train to the Central Valley. I totally be on board with the bullet train from LA to Vegas. I think that's a phenomenal idea. I think if you could get to Vegas in a half hour on a bullet train. You don't have to go through airports or check luggage or anything like that. You could have drinks on the train. You could get work done on the train with Wi-Fi, whatever you want to do. But if you could if you could shuttle people back and forth from Los Angeles to Vegas, I think that train would make a killing. I would vote for that train. I would not vote for a train that's going to the Bay or going to Bakersfield because that's where we're going to start it. 
because I just don't see this grand need to get to the Central Valley in a half hour. The, the, the stupid train, the high-speed train, it's not even a maglev. Right. Like people well, don't trying to use existing it. infrastructure. Yeah, they're using and it's a failure. And it's even worse when you when you think about oh well we're using existing. Well, why is it taking so damn long? If you're using existing rail, it should be quick. We should be able to do this thing. It should have happened already. It's funny because to me it it it's another highlight of the true desire of a program like this. Is it to accomplish what the program? It, on paper sets out to accomplish someone proposed boy this was back originally right when the bullet train was was first touted and was starting to look like it was going to get passed someone said why don't we just gather all of the money that's going to be put out there for this train via bonds etc why don't we just purchase californians a fleet of 737s we use existing airports we'll subsidize as long as you show a california driver's license you'll get a subsidized flight that would be phenomenally cheaper and you would get there. You would get LA to San Fran faster than especially the current incarnation of the bullet train that would accomplish the end, the, the purported end goal of the bullet train. But alas, that's not the actual goal of right. the bullet train. You have a lot of faith in getting into an airplane ran by the state. Oh no, not at all. I, w- I would not be taking it. would be the regulated plane. by the feds though. Oh, oh, be oh, better. But, but, the the wastefulness of my tax dollars would at least be somewhat capped and understood understood as to the limit that they could probably go to. Whereas right. this project, no one still has a clue exactly how much this is going to end up costing. No, and, and meanwhile, you got Elon Musk trying to build a train, you know, underground Interesting, or subway. Interestingly enough, the uh, the gentleman who was the biggest proponent of this bullet train is now the uh, biggest supporter of that stupid. <laughs> Hyperloop that Elon Musk yeah, is doing. Hyperloop. And he's like, oh, we messed up. I'm sorry. That's right. Oh, please go ahead. Yeah. One of the original supporters of the train is now doing a complete 180. Uh, somewhat seemingly mystified Did you that, see that, article that, on that it has reason? gone beyond the original scope. Right. Did you see that article on Reason? I the did. The same one. I did. Thank you very much. I did. Big ups to Reason.com. Yes. What's next, Louie? Prop. Well, let's see. We did 69. What about 68? Ooh, 68. Kind of went out of order. Not as sexy as 69, but... Give us a, give us a little down since you have the, the paperwork there, Louie. Oh, 68 is the... Uh, authorizes bonds, funding parks, natural resources, protection, climate adaption, water quality, and supply and flood protection. So, this is the summary from the official... Uh, primary booklet that was mailed out authorizes $4 billion in general obligation bonds for parks, natural resources, protection, climate adaption, water quality and supply and flood protection. It says the fiscal impact is increased state bond repayment costs averaging 200 million annually over 40 years. Local government savings for natural resource related projects likely averaging several tens of millions of dollars annually over the next few decades. Now, what I've heard about this is that, of course, unlike a lot of the other bonds for parks and stuff, this money would go to helping out the smaller little parks in cities and counties, oh, not adorable. the big stuff. Exactly. When I see $4 billion in general obligation bonds with uh, averaging, 200, averaging $200 million, 
means. Right. Well over two hundred million. Right. So yeah, they probably used a mean when they needed a different right. a different average method. Uh, annually over forty years. So two hundred a two hundred million dollar annual impact. Yeah, they uh, a year someone for forty years. I don't know the the interest rate off the top of my head, and that's a whole separate discussion in terms of what rating this bond should receive coming from California uh, in order to achieve the interest rate that it does. But I'm not sure exactly the interest rate, but they say that the total repayment, to your point, Louis, is going to be more like $7.8 billion because only $4 billion in principle, right? <laughs> so about three eight in interest alone in order to accomplish this. I mean, it, our state runs off the available credit that we have. And it's getting to a point of ridiculousness. Wow. At what point do do our lenders just say enough? John, when, when, when do they say that? When do they just go like, you can't service this debt anymore? Yeah, so what, we're, what, what you're asking is, in a sense, for lack of a better phrase, uh, a true marking to market. Mm of the risk involved in issuing a California bond, right? So, and this is where a lot of debate surrounds, well, how much do we factor in unfunded pension liabilities, right? And, and a lot of states are dealing with that. So depending on those sorts of factors that we're going to incorporate into the issuance of the bond, it really begins to affect the credit quality of the bond that's being issued, right? And so, again, like I said, I, I could probably find it here in a second, but whatever interest rate this is at being issued by California, let's say California is still considered, I, I believe they are still considered by Moody's or someone as, as a or, or double a rating in terms of bond quality. The amount of interest is going to change dramatically depending on someone's future interpretation. And it'll change for future bond issuances, their future interpretation of California's ability to repay this debt. Right? So this, a bond like this is obviously, based on the taxation authority of the state of California. And as we know very intimately well, the state is experiencing a net outflow. That doesn't even get to to the discussion of the the taxing base of who's left in the state and their ability to raise revenue. I mean, I think California just raised record revenues, am I right, in the last year or so. So for now, it looks good. But again, there's 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 under the radar risks in terms of these unfunded liabilities that until they're going to, in my opinion and other people's opinion, fully incorporate those into the risk assessment of the state, these sorts of bonds are going to look good in terms of the interest rates that they can be offered at, you know? Damn. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought, uh, you know, in, in the summary and the quick reference guide, uh, I thought it was pretty funny the contrast in what was picked for the pro argument and what was picked for the con argument. So the pro says California faces droughts, wildfires, floods, and other challenges to our water and natural resources. Yes. On 68 invests in natural resources and disaster prevention, cleans up contaminated drinking water, increases local water supplies, provides safe parks for children and future generations, annual audits, ensure accountability. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh, that's what we're all about, accountability around yeah, here. And, and caring about future generations. Sponsored by the American Lung Association uh, in California and the California Chamber of Commerce. 
and the natu- and the nature conservancy. The con, much shorter. I'm not here to tell you that addressing drought water parks, water parks, climate, coastal protection, and outdoor access is wrong. Borrowing for them is wrong. California has enough debt. It has the worst balance sheet of all 50 states. The last thing the state of California needs is more debt. I, I, it's I pretty that, blunt. Yeah, it's the like, pro piece was more of a a, a PR uh, well crafted paragraph, and the con piece pick was just a slam in your face. One person. Yeah, I'm looking at the. Um, well, the major one of the major supporters is Delion, right. who, who happens to be running for Senate. I'm reading this quote. Um, I guess Mary Creesman, the California Director of Government Affairs for the Trust for Public Land. She stated, apparently, quote, most importantly, it is a win for millions of California children and families who will soon have access to a quality park within a 10-minute walk. Now, with all due respect, including both the words California land and soon in the same sentence is a pure joke. Nothing in this state happens when it involving land and using the land and quickly. Well, I can even guarantee a 10-minute walk to a park. <laughs> like, it sounds great, but we can't just pop up parks everywhere. But I used I used to play Sim City. Isn't can't you do it there? The residents get upset. Build another park. Yeah, we need more places to buy drugs. Thank you. (laughs) So I'm going to say no on bonds. I don't know about you guys. Oh, that's terrible. Think about the future. Yeah, I know. Call me evil. I just sabotaged future generations. That that was the other thing when you were saying that the, the, the future generations line again. If anyone halfway in the state halfway cared about future generations, they've got to totally ignore the current economic situation that we're in. Well, maybe what's better for future generations is not a $4 billion debt service. Eh. Park or debt service. Maybe we can't afford it, right? Like you just tell some people, hey, maybe you shouldn't buy that nice thing because you can't afford it. Uh Uh, Yeah, nice parks are great. We can't afford it. That's Sorry, no, 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 that's no. tough talk, Louie. It's self-responsibility talk. We're not about that here in the state. Get the hell out. I know. Move to Nevada. Oh, it's, oh. Prop 70. Are we ready to move on from 6-8? Yep, yep. Requires legislative supermajority vote approving use of cap and trade reserve fund. Legislative constitutional amendment. So beginning in 2024 requires that cap and trade revenues accumulate in a reserve fund until the legislature, by a two-thirds majority, authorizes use of the revenues. Fiscal impact beginning in 2024. That's very far away, so we don't have to worry about it. (laughs) Potential temporary increase, potential temporary increase in state sales tax revenue, ranging from none to a few hundred million dollars annually, and possible changes in how revenue from sale of greenhouse gas emission permits is spent. I love that. Greenhouse gas emission permits. The joys of cap and trade. Now, <laughs> we just raised a whole heap of money from this cap and trade program. It was $600 million that the uh, it goes straight into the coffers. Uh, we just had the auction not too long ago. What is your, go ahead. No, no, no. Keep, keep going because well, this, this, this is a really nuanced to me. It's very nuanced. Yeah. <laughs> I was just looking it up right when you're uh, when you're talking about it, and let's see here. Where did we have it here? Six, mm, yes, six hundred million dollars was raised. 
it was a boon time here in California. But basically, it's the same old stick. We're just trading carbon rights as they were for this cap and trade. We're not actually lowering our carbon emissions. It's just being traded off. So one company has to pay a whole bunch of money so that they can buy a whole bunch of those carbon credits. And the only incentive is that they might not want to pay all those taxes for carbon. They're incentivized not to spend the money, but other than that, if they have to, they have to. For instance, a power a power plant that runs off of natural gas or coal or what have you. But we won't allow nuclear. <laughs> but like, We're decommissioning. See, see the previous comment about land use in right. California? <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. not going to happen anytime soon. So, uh, we yeah, we raised $681 million from the last quarterly auction of permits for the release of greenhouse gases. 60% of the revenue is earmarked for special projects. Hmm. Do they list the special projects? See, that's... Here it comes. With bated breath. High-speed rail. Right. right. So, okay. This, this to me, this is where it gets really nuanced. This so, is taking from Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, so... As Louie and Bobby know, and, and listeners will will see more over time, I, I tend on a lot of things, especially economic issues, to fall uh, pretty libertarian. And so, you know, you listen to Sowell and, and Friedman, and I think they make good points in that, okay, when there there is a role for government, right, when two parties come together and form a transaction— and that transaction affects a third party that that didn't want an original part in the first two's transaction. Okay. I say that to say, look, let's set aside for a second, and that'll be a whole separate discussion that I'm sure over time we're going to have. Let's set aside for a second if there's man-made global warming or not, or what level you think there is, et cetera. Okay, let's say that 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 man uh, that humans do something. We're affecting the planet. To affect the planet, or at the very least, like smog in the air and air quality, et cetera. Okay, fine. It's not that I think that, that something like carbon credits or cap and trade are a disastrous way to introduce market forces to to potentially have that third party made whole given the transactions of the two other parties. It's the implementation of it, right? And so, you know, you've even hear certain ideas put out there like what if there was a cap and trade system and we came up with a best guess estimate of what a ton of carbon costs, so to speak. People pay that. All of that money is collected. And the only government intervention is to then take that money collected and redistribute it evenly to all constituents of the state. So essentially, those who used more paid more. They got a check back, but the check they got back was much less than what they paid. Those who used none at all, they got a check and they never paid anything. So it's using market dynamics, right, in order to try and put penalties on those who do things. That's a totally different story than we're going to collect the money. You're too dumb to know what to do with the check we're going to write back out. So we're just going to keep those checks, and now we're going to go spend them on our own projects. So that's why I consider something like this nuanced in that, again, if we're going to, if, if we're going to start from a discussion point of there are environmental effects for doing this. So we should do something about it. You can take very different paths when it comes to what are you going to do? wanted to talk 
since we have just a few more minutes of this show about your friend and mine, Brian Dolly. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know who that is, and I'm pretty sure everybody doesn't know who that is, uh, Brian Dolly is uh, the assemblyman from District Number One. Number one, woo! What uh, does one cover? Well, one covers Lassen County, uh, county, and uh, around the uh, Sierra Nevada area, Shasta. Uh, Brian happens to be the uh, Republican leader in the state assembly. He was a uh, county supervisor at the time. He ran one. He ran again, up unopposed, and won ninety nine percent of the vote. But this go around, he's challenged again. But this is about Democrats challenging a Republican. They just had to show a little face. But he's going to win that thing hands down no matter what. He's pretty beloved over there. Now, what makes this man special is that he ended up becoming the Republican leader, uh, the minority leader, uh, last year. And he took that over from Chad Mays. Well, Chad Mays was the Republican who allowed cap-and-trade to go forward. Now, Brian, Brian's a good guy. He's pretty conservative. However, since becoming the minority leader, a little bit of power has gone a little bit to his head there. Seems to be a theme. Seems to be a theme. No way. No, no, not at all. Uh, The first thing that Brian did when he became a minority leader was he appointed a minority whip. Guess who he chose? Well, Chad Mays, the guy he just replaced. That's kind of weird. Well, he needed to whip a couple of votes and make sure things were going his way. But Bill, Brian tends to uh, produce a lot of bills that pertain to the uh, timber industry. He loves the timber industry. And wouldn't you know it, he gets a lot of contributions these days from, well... Cargo Pack, California State Council of Laborers Pack, uh, Wine, and this guy named George Emerson. George Emerson happens to be president of Sierra Pacific Industry, which is a timber logging industry. That's our buddy. That's who we got. We want as a Republican minority leader. Oh, and the things he passes, and all the wonderful things that happen. Now. Luckily for us, he's only been in the game for, well, really only two years. The previous two terms that he served were, he was a backbencher. He was nobody. But he comes from a very Republican area, Mm -hmm. which means he's not going to get ousted anytime soon. And he's going to be in that seat until 2024. That's a long time. Very long time. So, unfortunately, he has come to grips with this fact, and he's already created a committee for Senate. He's running for Senate in his district of 2020. He's going to be raising money for that seat pretty darn soon. He's ready to go. And I'm sure all his buddies in the timber industry are ready to back him 100%. And who's going to oppose him? He's already an established name. Previously good guy for the supervisor position. And you know what? Why not? He's a solid conservative with no agenda whatsoever. Oh, and did I mention Chad Mays? Right. Chad Mays, part of the Tom McClintock group. 
Oh, baby, are they moving things forward for our state. So just to recap, bad idea? Who else we got? Nobody. Oh, God. Then, yes, it's a bad idea. Um, the area that we, we're covering here, they call this the Swamp 8 here in California. We've got a couple of no-goodniks, and they just push everything that Democrats want. They're just rhinos. That's all they do. They take lobbyist money, they push agendas, and they push conservatives out of the picture. Oh, and your libertarian friends here. So let me ask you a question then. Mm-hmm. This is more from a high level, not just not just um, this gentleman, but if that's in fact what they continue to do, it, maybe I know the answer to this already, but how do these people, if they are from truly a conservative uh, portion of the state, how do they keep winning? Here's the thing is that I think a lot of politicians come in with good intentions. They have all the bright-eyed and bushy-tailed wants and needs to do the right thing, but eventually they get a little full of themselves, and eventually they have no choice but to make sure that they're continuously being elected. They need to be the guy that straightens out all this, and if you knew what they knew, then you would have no problem with them serving in their lifetime in the assembly, in the Senate. It, it also, I mean, as I hear you talk, it also makes me think of uh, Feinstein, right? In this, in this election cycle. I, I, I was just thinking about, yeah, not, not to no, no, go, derail yeah. you. I'm in, I'm 34 years old. I feel like I'd been seeing Feinstein commercials mm. since I was a little kid. And I have, I, I think the latest commercial actually goes back to when her and Boxer are running and it's like some old footage of them running, right? And I, how is that good for anything that you've got the same old, tired people in office for decades? Is if I remember this correctly, is she going to be ninety if she wins, and and at, at the end of her term? Well, hopefully, she'll have to step down in the middle of a what a odd year. And we'll have to have right. Right. We'll have to have. (laughs) We'll have to have special elections on an odd number year, and for a senator, she's been a senator since 1992. Yeah, and she will be 90 years old if she wins this this year. If she and serves out her full term, crazy. She's trying absolutely crazy. What is she trying to beat out Ruth Bader Ginsburg? (laughs) No, but but yeah, and from my understanding, like uh, to what Bobby was saying is it sounds like she's actually having to morph her campaign and lurch even farther to the left because she's realizing that where she stood, agree with it or disagree with it, where she stood in her quote unquote values for the last what 20 years plus, those aren't going to do it anymore. So instead of sticking to those values and saying, well, if the voter base has moved away from me, this is what I believe. I'm not changing. I may not win. It just, again, highlights the fact it's a win-at-all-cost scenario. So if I have to morph and kind of do some flipping on things that I've I've held dear in the past, so be it. Because I care more about being back in D.C. than not. So Well, and in this state, you know, we have this problem with the top two vote-getters getting on the ballot. Um, For those who don't know or those who 
don't even live in California and have to endure it. The way you get on the ballot is they just take the top two vote getters. We have an open primary. Open primary. And and so there are times when there's not even a conservative candidate on the ticket. In fact, in the last election, I think Trump was the only conservative on the California ballot. For the he most was. Oh, right, he because was. down ballot was, down ballot was, all, Democrats. was all Democrats. Right. So, you know, we have uh, Tony Vilar and Gavin Newsom oh, running Tony. for governor and uh, Allen and Cox running for governor. Hey, at least Tony is open about cheating on his wife. True. Okay? He's There's real that. repentant about that. But so what ends up happening is if those two get the top two votes, then they're the only two that'll make it to the, gov- the governor's ballot. And did I see that Meg Whitman just endorsed Tony Villar? Yeah. The former candidate as a Republican for Senate? Are we right. really surprised about that? Well, no, but I just okay, wanted to make no, sure yeah. I saw that. <laughs> he was such an awful mayor of Los Angeles that I, I mean, he, he failed the bar exam three times. He went to law school and he's not even really a lawyer. really hard. <laughs> I guess, but you went to law school, man. You should, the third attempt should, should, have hammered you should that be thing there. Home, eh? Right? I, and Gavin Newsom's just a train wreck. I, we see how well San Francisco was during his mayoral legacy there. Well, I'm looking at San Francisco, Los Angeles, and I go, these areas are just tent cities. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. You can see the divide. Like you wouldn't have ever seen it in any other city before. It's just become a real health problem in and of itself. We're having problems with hepatitis breakouts. Uh, Obviously, it's not good for people to be camping out that way. And despite all the money we're throwing into homeless shelters and other such programs, it's not solving the problem. We have... Too many people in this state to address properly. And these politicians have been feeding off of the public good and the good intentions for a very long time. If we want to address the problem in a very libertarian way, they'll fight back for it, even if it's makes no sense whatsoever. It's kind of like having, it's kind of like having seen that one guy with uh, a car from the eighties, you know, it's all beat up. He's, he's got this special way how he uh, jiggles the key. So it starts in the morning. He's the only one who can drive it, but Hey, he's not paying anything special into the, into the kitty. He can't afford that Tesla. And as long as it gets him from A to B, it's fine. But if we try to uh, take it away from him, he'll fight like hell. Mm-hmm. Cause he's not about to spend extra money on that new, uh, on that new ride, even if it was uh, better for the environment or better for his uh, lifestyle. Well, and Milton Friedman says it too, like you could have open borders and bring in all the immigrants that you want, or you can have a welfare state, but you can't have them both because we know where that goes. And so we want to declare ourselves a sanctuary state. We don't want any border security. We want to let Everybody come in here from Mexico, uh, even those not even Mexican, just people coming in via the Mexican border. And what that gets us is a ton of people using services without the services being available. All right, I'm depressed. 
Give me some good news. Okay. So I have a tweet to read for everybody. Okay. We thought it'd be really interesting in case people out there don't know about James Wood's Twitter feed. You should. So hopefully after this podcast, you'll go subscribe. But let me just give you a little bit of a sample of what you might see when you read James Wood's tweets. So on May 20th, 2018, James Woods tweeted the following, or I should say he responded to a tweet from Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren says, quote, I've never taken a penny from the NRA, and I'm not going to start now. That's why I'm taking the hashtag no NRA money pledge. If enough leaders join me, we can finally stand up to the gun lobbyists and get some real change. James Woods asked a question back to her and asked, do you take wampum though? (laughs) (laughs) It is a great feed. Um, That's not even, that's probably not even the top 10 best. No, not at all. Um, Not at all. The vigor at which he goes after the Clintons is really awe. And, and I think part of it too, is he's got over a million followers. So he's got some clout. Uh, he is local to California. He just hit over a million and a half. Yeah, apparently. that's crazy. Awesome feed. Well, I think that's it for us this evening. Yeah. Good show. Thanks, okay. guys. Episode one. You kind of see where we're going with it. Go ahead and uh, and subscribe. And we're going to be uh, pumping out more election stuff before next week. And uh, and then we'll be going over what the results of the election were and what are those implications and ramifications i i I can already guess how this is gonna turn out yeah everyone have a great week